Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. So I'm Kathy, and I'm a sexaholic. And um, as I said, my sobriety date is January 7th, 1993. And it's really an honor to be in this meeting. Honestly, I've never been in a room or a virtual room with so many people who are sober for a length of time. Um, so I, I just feel very grateful and, and humble to be here. And so the reason that I picked this topic, um, I don't know, it just jumped out at me. Um, it's, you know, the in the AA Big Book, it says we're not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. So, you know, one of the most important things that I remember on a daily basis is that I'm not cured because. Um, you know, I have a, I have a good life today. I've got a lot of routine in my life. I, you know, I've got a family. I've got grown children. I've got a grandson. Um, I'm retired from a job. Uh, my husband's retired. I live in a stable situation. Um, you know, the kind of danger that I was living in, and the kind of destruction that I was doing to myself and other people around me when I was acting out is not part of my life today. So um, it's really important for me to stay close to the program um, by showing up and, and speaking when asked, um, by calling my sponsor every day, going to meetings, sponsoring other people, um, talking to newcomers when I can, um, and, you know, working the 12 steps. Um, and, you know, my, my higher power doesn't let me forget, though, you know, that I'm a that I'm a sexaholic. So um, there have been times in my sobriety where I've, I felt like, oh, come on, this is just too hard. You know, whatever, I guess you could call it whatever temptation I'm having. And, um, and, uh, you know, the kinds of things like, oh, gosh, I'm just trying to think, uh, you know, times when even if I'm really, really working the program, which really for I, I am working it the best I can, but there still comes times when I feel lust and I feel that uh, that desire to be attractive to others, to get attention, um, and that feeling of uh, looking for something outside of myself and connection um, with something outside of myself um, can come over me really easily. Um, and so... I, I always think to myself, well, that's my higher power saying, Kathy, you are not cured. And um, I'm, I'm actually very grateful for that. Um, and it really, my life today and the life I was living are just um, complete opposites, really. I mean, on the outside, I look like a normal person because I was holding down a job and, you know, I had an apartment and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I... I really have this whole life going on um, underneath. And sometimes it got to a point where my acting out was not so hidden because 
um, it got, um, you know, I had to do more and more and take more and more risks in order to um, get that desire, uh, you know, that desire to be fulfilled. And so, um, you know, I just, um, I, I don't have anything to hide today. And I'm really, really grateful about that. And, you know, one of the things that, as I said, keeps me sober, staying close to the program and calling my sponsor every day. And one of the things that we've set up, she's been my sponsor for, oh, I don't know, 25 years or so. And um, it's probably in the last 20 years that I've called her every day. And one of the things that we agree on is that, um, you know, I turn over any essay related issues, anything that's come up that day around lust, um, things that have come up maybe around my husband and my anger, my irritation, uh, my character defects, uh, something that I might have seen, but I didn't intend to see some image that went by me um, and or some person uh, who came into my house to do some contracting work. So all of those things, it's important that I get it out there. And that works very, very well for me. And I'm really grateful for my sponsor who listens to everything that I tell her, however small. Um, so anyway, I just um, am so grateful that I'm, you know, I was always looking for a connection. I, that, that part that we meet at the beginning of, the, of our meetings where it says that we were, we were constantly looking, please connect with me and make me whole. Um, you know, I, my addiction centers on um, romance and, and connecting, wanting to get attention, uh, sex, definitely, um, sex, a big part of it, but it was really um, more about getting as much attention as possible and um, uh, having as many people um, in, my, in my orbit as possible, as many men in my orbit as possible. And I would, as I said, go to any lengths really to, to get that. Um, and I didn't understand what a connection was. I didn't have a connection with myself, you know, and I believed in a higher power. I'd already been in a 12-step program, mm, 10 years, um, a food program that I had been abstinent in that program for 10 years when I came into SA. And um, I had a connection with my higher power, I had a relationship. But every time I acted out, that just got pushed to the side. You know, there wasn't, um, and there wasn't anything I could do about that. I didn't know that I was powerless. Uh, but anyway, just just that connection, that beautiful connection that I have with myself, which is a spiritual connection, um, with my higher power, and with other people. Uh, it's it's priceless. It's golden. It's something I could never have um, come up with myself. And you know what I was. The, the program tells me that what I was always looking for was a connection with God. Now, I wouldn't have said that, you know, I certainly didn't feel that's what I was looking for. And the people that I got involved with, you know, they, it, it wasn't, didn't have anything to do with God or spirituality. Um, I don't know where that longing came from. I don't know where that desire came from. I only know that it was there, you know, probably from the time I was a young teen. And um, so, um, so that's why I wanted to talk about I'm not cured because I'm not cured. And, um, and if I think I'm cured, you know, that's kind of like my way out the door of, of this program. And I don't have, I make sure that I stay close enough to the program and be working it on a daily basis so that I never get to that place 
where I seriously think that life is going to be better out there than it is in here being sober. And, um, you know, the thing about sexaholism is that, so compare it, like, for example, to my, to my food uh, addiction, you know, I don't have to be around those foods that I'm addicted to. I can stay away from those foods. You know, I measure my food. I stay away from the other foods. Um, uh, I don't, you know, hang around in bakeries, for example, but as a sexaholic, wherever I go, I'm going to be in situations where I'm going to have the possibility of being in lust. Um, and, uh, and that could be going to church, that could be going to the grocery store, that could be, you know, meeting some new friends, that could be walk, taking a walk in my neighborhood. You know, there, there's always that possibility. And, you know, it was extremely, extremely so, uh, difficult for me to get sober. So I'll talk about that now. Um, I started, when I look back on it, of course, I didn't realize it at the time, but, you know, my, my first dating when I was a teenager, I was taking hostages, you know, from, from day one with, with, you know, I just had such a strong need, um, to be liked and accepted. And, um, I, um, always wanted to have a boyfriend. Most of the time I did. Um, I, um, I worked hard at that. And um, I, you know, think, like I said, things look normal from the outside. I had a boyfriend or this boyfriend, that boyfriend. Um, but, you know, things gradually got worse and worse. And um, I remember in, um, I'm trying to think, you know, it, it shows itself, itself in subtle ways. For example, um, you know, one of the things in my um uh, a couple of the people on my amends list um, uh, are are women that I went to college with. And um, if I had my eye on some guy and they could even be going out with him and I would um, interfere and I would get in the way and I would um, uh, throw that friendship aside. Um, and uh, that was just, you know, it, it was more important to me to have the attention of that person. So, um, when I left uh, college, I went and I lived in an apartment and that's one. So this is 1981 and I'm living uh, in the Boston area with three other women and I discovered personal ads. So back then there was no internet, but there was a newspaper, that, a Boston newspaper that ran personal ads. And I thought that I had just discovered treasure. I mean, this was the greatest thing ever. I could, you know, answer personal ads. I could put my own personal ad in. Um, and uh, eventually, after not very long, my roommates came to me and said, we don't want you to live here anymore. You're bringing all these strange guys into this house. We don't know them. Um, so I got kicked out of that apartment for that reason. Um, that didn't make a, any dent, you know, any impression on me. So I just kept going. I would go to nightclubs uh, to go dancing. I more than once went home with someone who I had never met before. And thank God that, um, thank you God that I was kept safe because, um, uh, you know, I could very well have, um, have ended up dead. Um, I, um, uh, you know, didn't worry about whether, who, where that person came from, if I was attracted to him. I didn't worry about what other people thought. I would meet guys on the bus. And I would exchange phone numbers with them. Um, anyway, I think you're getting the idea. And um, one time I met a guy in a laundromat. I remember that. Um, and 
not only did I meet them, but I would I would go ahead and date them and and act out with them. Um, and I thought this was the key to life. I really did. I thought this was the key to life. And um, I felt that, you know, if I can just get enough attention, I'm going to feel good about myself. And, um, you know, I didn't talk too much about, you know, other sorts of acting out behaviors as far as sex is concerned, like acting out with self, um, you know, using, uh, using media at that time, which was basically just TV, movies and newspapers and magazines. Um, and, um, so there was that part too, but the main part of my addiction had to do with trying to make connections with men. Um, and so, and I was, um, let's see, this is about 1984. I met my husband at that point. I had just broken up with somebody who I thought, I thought I was going to die that he broke up with me. I'm sorry. He broke up with me. I didn't break up with him. Um, what would happen is I would meet a guy he would be like, what a nice person, attractive, educated, fun, whatever. And then the whole hostage taking thing would start. And then um, usually these relationships didn't last more than a couple of months, if that long, because I just could not let that person, I had to have their attention all the time. Anyway, um, I met my husband and here's this nice guy coming along Um was just a really nice person and um, really cared about me for myself. And so we ended up getting married. And I, um, I remember thinking um, the night before I got married, and actually before that a few times, this means I can never date anybody again. Now, I'm not sure that that's like normal for other people who are going to get married, that they're thinking, like I was thinking with sorrow that I, you know, what would happen? I could never date anybody again. Um, and so this was in the eighties, my, um, we were married and I was having a lot of problems with lust with my husband's friends. Um, there was a certain amount of flirting going on, but nothing obvious. Um, I had my son in 1989. Um, I had, uh, been working, took some time off, went back to work and I don't really know what happened. I just know that when I read the AA big book, especially, you know, it talks about people who are able to sort of control their drinking for a certain amount of time. And then, and then everything broke open. And so I went back to work uh, to the place I'd been working at before I had my son. And, and it's like the lights all went on and I, I started um, flirting and obsessing, just obsessing and obsessing and doing inappropriate things at work. Uh, with with men at work. Um, it is just amazing to me that I could do my job. I know that other people knew what I was doing, but no one ever said anything to me. I'm not really sure why, but, you know, I would go in a guy's office and shut the door. You know, it was pretty obvious. And yet my addiction is so strong that it takes away all of that moral judgment. You know, I don't have any moral judgment. I just have to do it. And, um, so I uh, then went on to uh, act out with a friend of my husband's. And uh, I guess it was 1991 when I first heard about this program. And um, one of my friends in my other program pointed out to me some things that she knew that I was doing and said, you know, that's intriguing. And I said, what do you mean? It's in I didn't know what she was talking about. She said, you're married. And you're actually um, trying to get emotionally involved with other men. And so uh, she told me about SA. 
And I came to the program. This is in the Boston area, by the way. That's where I'm from. And I was very strong. There were other women there. Um, and it took me a long time to identify uh, and to feel that I belonged there. I felt very frightened. Um, and I, I kept on pursuing my addiction. And I kept on going to meetings, but I kept on pursuing my addiction. And um, there was another relationship with, uh, if you want to call it that, uh, with someone that I worked with. And, you know, the thing is, I was coming to meetings. So I was hearing, every time I would come to a meeting, I would hear about the people who had a similar story. Maybe they didn't have exactly the same story as me, but it was, they had the same feelings about what they did and the same powerlessness and the same shame. And so I was hearing that and I was hearing people get sober and I was seeing that there was a better plate. There was something better out there, but you know, it's that kind of, you know, it's, it's a very tough place to be, you know, that between a rock and a hard place, if anybody's ever heard that term, you know, it's kind of like, I wanted to keep acting out, but the pain that it was causing me and my family um, was excruciating. And um, so I knew that I needed to stop, but I didn't have the full willingness to stop because the power of lust and of this addiction is way, way more than I can handle by myself. Um, and I'm always going to be pushed towards lust and towards acting out. Um, I'm always going to be pushed that way if I'm not sober. So it was a couple of years before I got sober. And by that time, my husband and I were ready to be divorced. I had a little son who was three years old and I was um, ready actually but I thought, well, you know, we're just going to get divorced and he's just going to, you know, go back and forth between me and my husband. And that's the way it is. And, um, you know, it was hor a horribly painful time. So um, I finally uh, became willing. And it was it was this, I don't know what day of the week, but I was working. I had gone to a new job. So I was working in a different place, still in Boston, but I wasn't working with the people that I had been acting out with. So I was in, I feel like God gave me a clean slate, a beautiful clean slate. And um, back then there weren't any cell phones and there weren't any answering machines. So when your phone would ring at work, if you didn't answer it, you wouldn't know who it was, right? So there weren't any, there weren't any caller IDs. So um, this guy from my other job would call me and um I, uh, you know, I would make a ton of phone calls to other women in essay and say, this is, I cannot, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. I want to call him back. I want to see him. He wants to come see me, et cetera. And um, I would get the help for that moment to not have to. They would say to me, can you make it through for the next two hours without calling him back? Can you tell me, can you that commit that to me? Yes. Okay. I'll do that. Um, Anyway, just it was one of the hardest times. I never want to go through that withdrawal again because um, that just proves to me that I'm a that I'm an addict. Because if I was sort of, kind of, sort of, you know, maybe had a little trouble with, you know, uh, extramarital stuff or flirting, maybe it wouldn't be that hard for me to stop doing it. But it was terribly, terribly hard. And the idea of stopping, I felt like, what is my life going to be like? I don't have anything left in my life. And here I was with my three-year-old son, you know, and, um, and it, it completely, what happens when I'm acting out or I'm thinking about acting out is that I get taken over by this um, non-reality. You know, it's a completely whacked perspective. And so um, 
withdrawing from that and getting into the real world was very, very difficult. Um, And of course, I look back now and it's what it's of of the two important things that have happened in my life are most important. This is one of the most important, my sobriety, because I would never have the life I have today. I would never be married for 35 years. I would never have a daughter and a son who are adults. I would never have been able to last at my job. Um, I would never have been able to have relationships with other people, you know, friendships. Um, I, it's, it's, a, it's so destructive um, and the behavior. Um, so I, um, that tells me that I've got five minutes left. There we go. I was timing myself. Thank you. Um, so just to just to say, you know, why I, I I did when I first came into SA, I got went to a couple of meetings, and then someone told me about another S program, and I went there, and you know, it's really interesting. I went to one meeting, and I thought this ain't going to do it. You know, I can't make my own bottom line. Um, I'm either sober or I'm not. There's no moderation for me. I tried that. I tried moderation. I tried a little bit and I can't do a little bit. You know, I'm either sober or I'm not sober. And I love the definition of sobriety. I love the bottom line. I accept it today. I accept it. It is freedom for me. It's not bondage. Um, It's freedom. I have an addiction that I'm never going to be cured of. You know, I'm going to have it today. I'm going to have it next week. I'm going to have it 10 years from now if I'm still alive. I'm going to die with it. I don't doubt that. I don't know why I have it. Um, It's a good thing I don't have to figure that out, right? I can be sober without understanding maybe why I have it. I just have to be sober for today. And, you know, I've um, been able to, in SA, work um, the steps in a very vigorous and I guess you'd say intensive way in a way that I hadn't before um, in my other program. And um, uh, it has changed everything for me. Um, I I'm really, uh, every day I'm working, um, I'm working those steps, you know, my steps 10, 11, and 12 every day. Um, I have my step four behind me. Uh, and uh, there may be another step four in the future, but the thing is I'm in, um, uh, you know, I am, I'm living the steps today. And, so it says here that uh, my daily reprieve is contingent on the maintenance of my spiritual condition. So the number one spiritual thing I do is stay sober. That's the number one spiritual thing. If I don't do anything else today, if I don't do my 10th step, if I have an argument with my husband, if I mess up somewhere or other, you know, um, make some mistake, if I'm sober, um, that's where my spiritual connection starts. Um, and uh, I, I know that for me, I cannot do the steps in order to get sober. I have to, I had to learn how to be sober. I had to learn how to get from lunch to dinner and not act out. Um, and as I said, one of the worst times of my life and one of the hardest. But on the other hand, it really showed me how this program works and that the love and support is, is just infinite. You know, I, I can get as much love and support as I as I reach out for. And, uh, you know, this is the place for me. This is where I belong. Um, so like I was saying um, at the beginning, you know, I, I have a normal life today. So it's normal as long as I'm doing all the work, doing all the work. And no, nobody sees the work I do, you know, except my sponsor and other people in the program. 
you know, but it's, it's, um, it's every day of my life I'm working it. And, um, and I don't want to ever be in that position. Uh, I, I didn't mention that once about 20 years ago, I came quite close to, um, you know, this fun, fun little flirtation turning into something that would have made me not sober. And it was not sober behavior. And, you know, that's when my sponsor and I really looked at how I was working my program and really, really upped what I was doing. Um, but I don't want to ever be in that position again. So the problem, you know, the thing is, if I open the door a little crack, then I don't, I don't have control over how much more it's going to get open, you know, because I'm there then is the powerlessness there. The disease comes in and says, um, well, I, this is okay. I can do this this time. This isn't really a big deal. And, you know, I, I mean, I, I deserve a little bit of excitement and, um, you know, <laughs> that's the, the lie. That's the lie of the disease. And, um, so what my higher power has given me in this program, uh, through sobriety and the steps is, um, you know, that I get a lot of, a lot of excitement in my life. And the, the kind of excitement I get is the joy of being in relationships with others, the being honest and living an honest life, um, the ability to, to be married, to have stayed married, to have had another child and to have a grandson and to really, really be there. So that's what freedom of addiction from addiction gives me. I can be there. I'm there, whether the situation in my life is hard. And certainly we all go through hard times. That's life. Losses, difficulties. But I'm also there for the joyful times. And um, that that is a, a yeah, priceless. It's priceless. Um, and all I got to do is show up to this program and and work it the way it was shown to me how to work it and pass it on to other people. And I say all I got to do because that's not much compared to how much I get. You know, I'm 63 years old. I hope I have another 25 years ahead of me, maybe or more. And I can a day at a time figure that I'm going to be able to live them live them in a freedom uh, the freedom of sobriety. So thank you so much. I'm Federico, I'm a sexaholic. No question, really, but I just wanted to thank you because um, for what you shared about your experience going through withdrawal, because that's, I very, very much relate to that. And I, uh, you know, really chime in with that because that's one of the things that I, that horrifies me about the thought of relapse. Uh, because for me, I had, I had the experience you described, you know, incredibly hard withdrawal, having to use the tools all the time, sometimes once every few minutes. Uh, on the phone, whatever. It was incredibly hard physically, psychologically. Um, I've never been through an experience like that before or after. And I uh, <laughs> really wish not to go through it again. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Thank you, Federico. Martina? Thanks, Luke, for your service. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your... Sure, Kathy, I could relate so much with so many things you said, and uh, especially like the situation when you could not call back this one man who called you on the phone in your office. And I want to ask you um, the question, like what happened um, that you finally did become sober long-term? Like you said, like you went to meetings, but you were still acting out, but you obviously came to a point where you... Um, made a decision to stay sober or you reached out for your higher power, whatever happened. And I was just, um, yeah, my question is how, how did that happen? 
that you could finally um, stay sober. Thank you. Thank you, Martina. I think, you know, I, I don't know the full answer to that. Um, I, you know, I'm not sure why that day I got sober as opposed to the day before or the week before or a week later. I just know that my by going to meetings, as I had, as I said before, I was seeing all these people who had the same problem as me, and many of them were sober. You know, they had, and they were talking about the solution. And so, um, but then I would be leaving the meeting and be acting out. And so I guess what happened is it's, it became more and more and more painful, more and more acutely painful. That I was going that I was I, I kept going over after the same thing over and over. You know, that's what addiction is, right? You keep going to the same thing over and over and getting the same results. And yet I had this contrast that I was going to meetings and hearing people who said, Yeah, that was really what this is what I did to myself. This is what I was thinking about it. And um, and this is how I got through it. And so I I guess I could just say that you know, I, I grabbed onto it. I was, I felt at that moment, hopeless. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Nancy. Hi, I'm Nancy Sexaholic. Um, thank you, Kathy, so much. It's good to meet you. I can so relate to your story. Um, you clearly talked about step one, powerlessness and unmanageability. In our problem, at the beginning, it talks about, please connect with me and make me whole. It's right there in the beginning of our readings. The spiritual basis of addiction on page 53 of the white book talks about closed loop connection with self. You may mention that. And it talks about us having a person drive and we have to have the core of our being plugged in somewhere. The definition of lust on page 40 in the white book talks about taking a natural instinct and turning it into unnatural. And for me, like being a grandma, it's natural to be a grandma. But when I take every form, every need of mine to have it be met, even Roy K. in the in um, Recovery Continues, the very last article, ASA Misconnection. Yeah, my question, quick. Can you talk about the symptom, the signs, symptoms of withdrawal, what you experienced? Thank you. <laughs> Well, I, all I can say is it is that overwhelming desire to to fill to fill up, make that phone call, make that connection, um, you know, answer the phone and say yes, I will come meet you, and you know, then after that, I don't have any control over what happens, you know, because the disease takes over. So it was I had all I, you know, towards the end of my acting out was the worst of my acting out. So I was I was living in that all the time and. So every time I felt like I wanted to, I would. And so being in withdrawal for me was that overwhelming desire, which I was used to giving into. And so I, but I was told, make the phone call, make the phone call. So I would make the phone call. And what I experienced is that that, that overwhelming desire would pass if I made the phone call. Maybe it took 15 minutes, maybe it took an hour, maybe it took two minutes. But just by talking to that person, that person saying, you're going to be all right. You're going to be okay. You know, you just are not going to call that person. Remember, that's why you decided to get, that's why you're sober. And the only way to stay sober is to stay away from those things that are 
um, that you're addicted to, those situations you're addicted to. So um, I don't know if that answers your question, only that, you know, I, I just, um, it, that it was very hard and that I could not have done it alone. How long did it take before it got so it wasn't so hard? I don't know. Uh, you know, it, it probably, uh, I can say that a year, maybe a year or two later, so no, 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 it didn't take that long. I, you know, remember, I'm, I'm, I was completely immersing myself in SA. I was going to meetings. I was talking to people, calling people, spending time with people outside the meetings. So that um, eventually that, that desire, which se- seemed um, that I couldn't resist it, it, it was less and less difficult, you know, less and less difficult. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lee, please go ahead. Okay. Sorry, Lee, I muted you again. <laughs> All right. Am I, am I here? All right. Uh, I uh, uh, think... You did a fabulous job, and although my uh, specifics were different, uh, my relationship to your share was perfect. I wanted to know uh, about something an experience with. I have an eating disorder also, and I was in an anonymous uh, interview and TV special about inter- eating disorders without relation to 12-step exposure and uh, uh and i didn't give my full name and uh, uh they interviewed me and after the interview i was talking to them about my other uh addictions i've had drug overdoses with my sex condition and uh, so when they ran the fi- video uh i would there was my face and talk about all that other awful stuff I had done how how did you how much have you experienced uh you made reference to that uh uh, how much uh has your life secrets been kept ah okay do you mean as far as my acting out is concerned is that what is that what you're yeah, I mean, people called me as a physician and said, "Are you that doctor, SA?" And uh, oh. you know, my my uh, exposure was huge. And okay. uh, I, I did you have uh, public? No, no. Okay. To answer your question, no, and it's something I keep very, very private and don't even talk about it in my other program unless I have a feeling that somebody else might need it. And then I might tell them, would you like to know, you know, about the, about the recovery program that I'm in, but my, um, my anonymity uh, and that part of my life is extremely, extremely secret from everyone, basically. Yeah. Well, thank you. Mine was unintentional. I didn't really want it. Got it. And so I just wondered what had happened. Thank you both. Suzanne, please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much, Kathy. Um, What a treat to um, be able to hear. 
I mean, to me, what I mostly heard was the pain of um, of acting out, and and I remember that pain and the pain of of you know having this unsatiable desire because I could never get enough attention and never you know uh, have enough hostages or whatever you know. So I appreciate that, and um, I'd like to know what are your favorite tools today to deal with temptation. Um, or, um, or maybe even catching yourself flirting, you know, how do you deal with any of that today? So, um, the first thing is being aware of it, which being sober and, you know, I'm really, really grateful that I am aware of it today. And I can tell the difference between standing and having a conversation with someone at church or wherever and, um, and flirting. So I know the difference and, um, so how, what tools do I work? So one of the most important things I do is I have is my relationship with my sponsor. And, you know, she, like I said, we've been together a long time. The point is that I would have a sponsor who I can be honest with, can tell her what the issues are. And she can say, yes, I understand that. Or maybe she's not gone through it before, but she can say, I understand those feelings. And here's what here's how you can handle that. So I had a situation. It's got to be 10 years ago now. So my daughter was in high school. And um, anyway, I, you know, she was doing a lot of doing a lot of dating and I was having issues with my own um, attraction to these teenage guys. And, you know, I um, was very, very ashamed of that, very ashamed of it. And, Um, my sponsor was right there with me. I mean, I would be calling her, you know, just when, uh, because it would sort of bring sort of this voyeurism into it. Like I would want to be seeing her interacting with him, you know? And so my sponsor, I would be talking to her and there were other people I talked to also uh, who I felt safe with. Did we lose Kathy? I think she froze. Yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, we lost you for 20 seconds, Katty. Oh, it says my internet connection is unstable. Hmm. Can, you hear me? Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. So I'm trying to think of what, oh, um, so that connection with her, especially, but then that I have others that I can call to who know my situation. Cause it's, it's, I've got to have, uh, uh, you know, I, uh, it's more at that point, it was more really an obsession I was going through than it was anything that I was doing, Mm -hmm. but it was really interfering with my peace of mind quite a bit, a lot. And so um, the tools that I use are calling my sponsor every day. Um, And then once a week uh, we have sort of a a summary meeting (laughs) where we talk about anything else we don't have time to talk about during the week in our, you know, in the little calls. Um, As I say, I, go to meetings. Uh, I stay in touch with other women in the program. You know, that's really important for me too. Um, and prayer, you know, prayer uh, helps me a lot. I know that my higher power is on my side. My higher power brought me to this program. So, um, but but when I need real concrete, um, you know, help, it's that phone that's going to help me the most. Does that answer your question? Yes. Thanks. And okay. um, I'm so grateful that God arranged it, that you can be my sponsor. 
Thank you so much, Suzanne. Um, I have a question in the chat that I'm in, in a private chat here that I'm going to ask first. Ar from Arpita from India. Arpita has been sober for over two years now, and but she can't speak today. And she says that although I'm I'm two years sober now, yeah, my lust is so high at the moment, yeah, mm -hmm. that it's driving me crazy. My, I get suicidal tendencies and they're driving me crazy. My hands feel out of control and I feel we'll just switch on porn and then I will slip. So how do you manage that? And um, let me see. I, f I have the feeling that I have to slip soon. My lust is giving me such negative thoughts and I'm so scared because I'm getting super strong lust and suicidal tendencies. So how did you manage that? Well, I can't speak about the suicidal tendencies, um, but I can, I'm sorry about that, but I I can say that there have been times, as I was just describing, when um, on one hand, I say, okay, higher power, you're just pointing out to me that I still have this disease. I've still got this addiction, but that it can feel like so, so difficult. It can feel very, very difficult um, to get back, um, you know, to be obsessed about somebody, you know, like a man in my neighborhood or, um, you know, someone else would call it a crush. Well, we know it's not a crush, you know, it's a little bit more than that. And, um, or, you know, someone at my church, I'm just using those as an, as examples. Um, I haven't worked in an office for many years. I worked at home for 15 years uh, at the end of my career. So I didn't have interact, you know, a personal interaction with people, but um, it, it can feel overwhelming. And that's where I don't trust myself. You know, I, I could say, well, well, you know, I, uh, well, I don't have to handle this myself. You know, this is, um, this is for other people. This is what the program is for. This is what I'm here for. Uh, and if I don't get the help that I need from, you know, maybe one or two people, I want to find out more people that I could call. You know, there are uh, other women that that I could call and and sort of just get their uh, get their experience, strength, and hope about what I'm going through. And that I have found that if I don't act out, which I haven't had to, that that overwhelming desire or that, that very strong feeling of lust, which is just so painful, will subside. It does subside. Thank you, Kathy. Mm -hmm. Less than 30 days of sobriety can also raise their hands. We still have five minutes left, so maybe one more after Catherine, please go ahead. Thank you, Nick, for your service. And thank you so much, Kathy, for your share. It's so nice to see you and to meet you. And uh, yeah, um, I could identify with uh, the desire to be lusted after and to feel this, this emptiness and the misconnection, I, I call it. I was also always looking for connection and um, misconnected. And what I want to ask you, I find it quite amazing to have a sponsor for over 20 years and call her every day because, um, um, it, yeah, my question is, have there ever been difficulties in the relationship to the sponsor where you also um, use the step work to deal with it or do you talk to her about it or, um, yeah, in such a long time? Um, <laughs> I don't know if there are also relationship difficulties coming up with a sponsor in 20 years and how you deal with it. Thank you. 
Thanks, Katrina. Um, so just, I just want to say the whole thing about calling my sponsor every day. That's like maybe a minute of my time every day, which makes a huge difference in my day. And day after day, that's cumulative, right? So that makes me feel stronger and stronger and more connected. Um, I really, I mean, she may say differently, but I really can't think of a time where we've had really a disagreement about anything or anything that's come up, uh, you know, uh, really, um, I feel supported by her. And again, as I said before, I feel like I can tell her anything that I wouldn't feel comfortable telling other people. So um, I don't think anything like that's come up or we've had a disagreement. You know, we, I, I have a lot of respect for her. And, um, and so that's, that's, you know, the way I approach things uh, very respectfully with her. And uh, I, I don't know that I, that's, I think that's the most I could say about that. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you. Yaakov, please go ahead. That's probably going to be the last question. Hi, uh, my name is Yaakov and I'm a sexaholic. Thank you so much for your share. Um, I have a question. How do I know that I'm not trying to control my sobriety, but bring it to God? Because um, in the... Um, in the beginning of my sobriety, I did not do almost any actions because I couldn't. I was in the army. I was in the beginning in the training and everything was so intense. And the half an hour, hour in the morning was kind of all I got. And sometimes a few more minutes at night. And I stayed clean and sober. And friends also told me that I sounded good. And then I continued in the army and stuff uh, were more opened up and I had more time like now mm. and um and now that I have time I, I really do much more step work and I work much harder in my sobriety and friends and my sponsor and myself actually start telling me that it sounds like I'm trying to control my sobriety and I forgot about God and it's painful to hear that because I think they're they're right thinks so. <laughs> like it's my sponsor he knows what he's talking about And I really feel like um, too many trees made me not see the forest anymore. And, and then I hear from other uh, friends that they go to three meetings a day. And like, I won't say names, but uh, friends that are sober for 30 years and they hear them speak and they go to so many meetings and do so much. And it seems like they do not have that issue of not feeling God in their life and being obsession about recovery. So how do I, how do I work the two out, which feel like they're contradicting each other? Hmm. And thank you so much. Sure. Thank you. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not totally clear on your question, but um, it, it sounds like you're saying something about whether you're controlling your sobriety or God is. So I, I can just say that I know God is there, but, God isn't going to, you know, uh, stop me from acting out. It's, you know, I believe my higher power gives that strength or whatever, uh, that ability to, to the sober people around me who are going to, I'm going to, you know, talk to them and they're going to um, help me. They're going to guide me because I can't do it myself. Um, you know, I, all I can say is 
work with your sponsor as far as how how many meetings you sh- you know work for you. Um, I, again, I'm not sure I'm answering your question. Um, so, it, it, the, you know, when I have a question about my program, I talk to my sponsor. You know, that's what I do because you know I'm I'm not I'm not the one who's going to figure it out. So that might be worth some conversations with your sponsor about how you're feeling about your program um, and how you feel that you're working it and how it's working for you and seeing um, if you can together come up with a, with a way for you to feel more comfortable about how you're working it. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you.